Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, you'll hear Joe and Josh speak with Danny Butler, a primary care physician from Paducah, Kentucky, in the Allidade, Kentucky ACO. Dr. Butler is on the forefront of using data and population health tools to provide better preventative care, and you'll hear how he combines these with an old-fashioned dedication to his patients and his community. He shares his experience of how being in an accountable care organization has been good for the health of his patients and the success of his practice. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director at Allidade. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler, our lead adoption and training here at Allidade. Welcome to the ACO Show. We're very excited to have Dr. Danny Butler of Dr. Butler and Associates of Paducah, Kentucky with us today. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Butler. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Butler, Allidate has been focusing on four core initiatives to improve patients' health and reduce unnecessary costs. They are helping people who've just been in the hospital avoid readmissions, reducing emergency department visits that could have been handled by a primary care provider, and more accurate diagnoses, also known as HCC risk scoring, and more annual wellness visits on the right patients. Your practice has been doing amazing on all of these. So we'd love to hear a little bit about your process. How did you go from not doing these at all to really doing such a great job? We, I'll take the fourth one first because it's what we started with. Um, we were doing yearly exams, but we, with Allidade's help, uh, had just started doing annual wellness visits prior to Allidade, and then they have reached uh, out to us and given us information on how to tweak that and improve it. Um, we have made that a part of our flow with every patient. Uh, so when they come, once a year we do the annual wellness, and then we determine their follow-ups based on medical diagnosis, their medical needs, and uh, really how chronically sick they are. Um, they validated after the AWVs, we got that established. They really helped us with HCC codes because we had no um, framework for the severity um, and how Medicare looked at the cost of a patient comparatively to their medical diagnosis. And so we ha- I have I prep our charts and go in before we see patients and look at their current list of diagnosis, with Allidade's assistance, we use uh, laminated sheets that have um, the codes printed out in alphabetical order so that I can edit and update uh, the correct diagnosis so that going forward, once we get that diagnosis list established, other than adding new diagnosis, we've got a moving template forward on someone's medical problems. And also, with Allidade's help, I've been able to then measure um, what Medicare expects the cost of their health care to be through that code. Um, we also uh, was not doing any um, emergency room transition of care as a flow. Uh, we would do an emergency room visit follow-up or a transition care follow-up if the patient called or if the hospital called prior to Allidade. Um, Allidade has given us the list and the ability through data of looking at who's been at the hospitals locally uh, and also who's being discharged from nursing homes or hospital. Um, and we take that list, work it, and have, have a person designated that will call those patients specifically and tell them we're just checking on them and that we need to get them in and make sure that we tie up any loose ends to prevent readmission or them having questions that not get answered during the visits. So we've really used all, all of those areas um, with Allidate's help to kind of uh, change the flow of the practice. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> you know, it, if you, I spoke earlier with the other group, but our office manager, I want to give her more credit because 
I'm really bought in, and I think it helps that I, when I present it to the staff and say this is going to make a difference in people's lives, but she is very instrumental in looking at the whole office flow and saying this is how we can do this, uh, getting the right person to, that's very detail-oriented on all the follow-up calls, and if you call and don't get the answer, maybe reaching out to a caregiver or another family member, it takes somebody very detail-conscious to do that. I give her credit for, for having the right people in the right spots. And our staff, uh, the annual wellness visits, and you know, I manage most of the HCC codes and our mid-levels help me with that. But our annual wellness visits uh, are led by medical assistants with templates. And uh, then we, we, uh, they are set up to do those correctly uh, just by Medicare's guidelines. Then we have added a section with Allidate's help on positive annual wellness visit findings so that when I go in to do the visit, I review the annual wellness visit, and then I really focus on what they've brought to the bottom, which is maybe a positive uh, cognitive screening where someone's very forgetful. Um, and they have, it's become, they don't even ask me, are we doing it? It's become our flow, but I want to, that starts with your management and my office manager is, has been very instrumental in that. One of the things you touched on, Dr. Butler, is the role that, that data plays in developing those kinds of workflows and knowing which patients to outreach to and how to interact with the patients that are in front of you. Can you talk a bit about how data plays into that day-to-day -day work that you do? Yes, we, we use the app. Uh, portions of it, I use the daily huddle every day. I get in and look to do the HCC coding. But the, the main part for them is there's a section on the app that looks at frequent emergency room uh, visits and and uh, chronic care patients that would be um, having a higher amount of cost uh, per Medicare um, would be sort of candidates for chronic care. Uh, those lists, uh, sometimes we'll sit down and go through those lists, or one of my medical assistants or LPNs will work that list. Uh, having the list organized uh, is invaluable because otherwise we, we are really good, I think, at seeing the patients who call us or the people that schedule but we, we don't have a good handle all the time on what's going on around us, which is the emergency rooms, the hospital, and the nursing homes. And by Alliday giving us that data, we almost think of it like we've got an extra extender in the arm in, in town is that we tell patients they can't hide. And a kind of a humorous way is that if you've been to the hospital or you've been to the nursing home or you've been um, you know, in the emergency room, uh, we're watching you and, and we do it as kind of a humorous thing, but they, they really feel more connected to the practice. The big picture idea is, you know, they're going to have admissions and they're going to have nursing home visits with injuries and things that require rehab. But if we can prevent some of the emergency room visits that are really unnecessary, uh, them knowing we're constantly monitoring their care, we're available for same day appointments, uh, having that data, uh, is is extremely invaluable in helping us kind of navigate the practice. When I hear about how the Allidate ACO in, in Paducah, Kentucky functions, I hear both really impressive uses of the data, but also a real network and a community. So you're using this data, but then people seem to know each other. So when somebody gets admitted to the hospital, you know that person. Or when they go to the SNF, you know that person. Can you talk about how both the network and the data work together? Yes. I, our ACO has 10 primary care physicians with um, several mid-levels attached to them. So there's probably 20 to 30 providers that we represent from the Kentucky ACO. 
we all live in a town of about 30,000 people. Um, our kids go to school together. We have been on sports teams together. Uh, I trained with the emergency room doctor that often will call me about a patient. Uh, so the close-knitness of the community, we had that pre-Allidade. We had good relationships. We had excellent independent physicians. What Allidade's brought with the data and just with their network and support is they brought all of us together, and we were friends before, but now we're sort of colleagues in a, in a professional setting at a table. We're sharing ideas of how we do things in our practice, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, it helps that uh, if I have a question about a patient that Dr. Eicholtz has sent to the nursing home, I've got his number. I'll reach out to him. I'll text him. He immediately knows the patient better than I do because he's been taking care of him for maybe 20 years. And uh, uh, especially when you're dealing with uh, advanced care planning, end of life, uh, he helps me, him and Dr. Turnbow, and really Frazine, all the members of the ACL are accessible so they can help me connect with the families uh, if it's a patient that I'm not have not been the primary person on. Um, so yes, I, adding the data piece and the, the other information has been very helpful, but, but the cohesiveness of our community, the medical uh, community, as far as us all working together, has been er very instrumental, I think, in not just my numbers being good, but our entire ACO, I think, is, is latched onto this. Um, as far as workflow in the office, how it's evolved is that um, We've always had, I think, good people in the right spots from our office manager knowing strengths and weaknesses of certain employees and who was very detail-oriented. That needed to be an annual Willis visit person because there's a lot of detail in that. Who is good at uh, transitions of care in emergency room follow-up as somebody who's very persistent and, and realizing that this is work that's got to be done, not just one phone call, hey, I couldn't reach them, and then it just falls through for no follow-up. Uh, I think her ability to know our staff really well has helped. And then I think uh, some of the Allidade people have really come in and worked with her on if if we do this, if, if we give you this list from the app, you pick the right person to put this in progress. And there are many times that one of my uh, staff members, she's not doing anything that day related to our office of our patients in the office being seen. She's strictly looking at working reports of that Allidate has generated for her that will then bring in a visit the next day or two because it's a person who's been in the emergency room with bronchitis or someone who has been worked up for chest pain uh, or maybe just been in the hospital with pneumonia. So she will create a visit, but for that day, she's just kind of surveillance, uh, watching over our city and our area for where our patients are popping up. Um, one thing I'll say, and I think our ACO's done this, we use a lot of the AIM funds that Medicare put out initially to help. It takes additional people to do this. You can't just use your staff, who's already very busy, uh, to manage this, what I call the behind-the-scenes data look and watching these other patients. So we've invested in that. Um, some, we have. Uh, it has been helpful for Allidade uh, to help guide us on where that money should be spent and what are the core initiatives, they've given us sort of the framework. And we've said, you know, annual wellness visits, we were already doing some. We tweaked it, and then we moved on. Then these transitions of care, chronic care and ER follow-ups, hospital follow-ups, nursing home follow-ups, they've really been instrumental in um, 
us developing in a flow. Uh, it all started with Allidade's initiatives. So, so the AIM funding that you refer to, that's the prepayment that the federal government made to invest in practices for yes. care management and other activities? That's correct. They, they pay you that on the front end for a period of time. I think we got it for, we were different because we had already spent some in one ACO and, and we had some remaining, but for maybe over a year or so, uh, we had some AIM funds that we had, that Medicare would say, we're willing to put some money out, not even as a loan, as kind of an investment to us. It had to be spent under guidelines uh, that Allidade, again, was very helpful in laying out the framework for what was an allowable charge and what wasn't. Um, then once the AIM funds uh, ran out, then the additional cost of adding those people uh, were at the expense of the practice. Um, we have offset that with uh, getting uh, fees for annual wellness visits because you get paid for those. We get additional visits with the transitions of care and ER visits. Uh, we, Allidade's helped us get some other private contracts. So we've, I feel like that Allidade's invested in us, Medicare's invested in us, and I'm also invested in this process. You clearly are. And what I'm wondering is, sounds like you had a busy practice and a good medical community before you were ever part of an accountable care organization. What made you want to join something like that? And what made you want to move from focusing only on sick patients to helping your patients keep from getting sick in the first place? You know, there was a lot of uh, uh, information in town about hospitals and different ACOs developing. I had my office manager, Amy, kind of research what what that was all about. Um, we we knew that uh, healthcare, and we felt that healthcare was going toward a model based on quality and based on efficient care. Um, and we felt that we were already set up for that. Uh, we, we felt that we didn't want to be left behind. And we've tried to, with electronic medical records and with criteria, stay up on the medical side and we felt like this was a step forward that we should stay up on the, the business. Talk about the the bridging from thinking about your patients as a population um, to the individual patient for, for a second. Because when I've talked to doctors, uh, fellow doctors out there about this, who have no background in it, and I used to be a, a, a general surgeon in my previous life, so it's a slightly different group. But the average surgeon that I speak to if they have concerns, they think only in terms of the reactive sick care um, that Josh was referencing and, and that transition to value-based care. And for me, having been at this company now for a few years and immersing myself in that world, it's a no-brainer that getting ahead of those issues is better for the individual patient. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear how you do that even on a day-to-day -day basis going between the two. Right. I use the specialist. I think of surgeons and cardiologists and all the specialists as uh, there for me when I, when our, my patient needs their level of expertise. It might be a heart cath and a stent. That may be a abdominal surgery to remove their gallbladder. But after that, I think if you'll ask most surgeons, do you want to manage all their care? Do you want to take care of them when they're depressed? Do you want to have them call you with their headache? Do you want them to have them call when they fall? I think most surgeons will say, call me when I have a surgical problem. Um, I feel like the patient needs uh, a, a quarterback, and that's what I call primary care. It's somebody that's that's managing their care. Uh, it transitioned from looking at it. I love to see the numbers population-wise to say 
how many of our patients are getting flu shots? How many of our mm -hmm. patients are getting mammograms? But when I go in each room, uh, no two people are the same. I have a 90-year-old guy right now that I would send uh, for any surgical procedure that, that he required. He doesn't need to see a lot of specialists because he's playing golf and travels to Florida and is doing great. I have some 70-year-old people that I would tell the family if they were having that same surgical problem, we might need to just talk to the surgeons, but uh, be, being conservative with this patient's cancer is still appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, for the specialist, I think it's probably harder because they are reactive and that when we call them, they have to perform a certain task. It, but it needs to be, it needs to be more um, collaborated with primary care in that once they do their surgery, where they're going for placement, what their memories like? Do they get confused in the hospital afterwards? All that falls right in right in my lap. And if I'm going to be there for the problems after, then I want to be notified beforehand. Um, so I look at it like it's a win-win because they don't have to manage things that, quite frankly, most of the surgeons don't do every day, or most of the specialists don't do. They want us taking care of the the day-to-day -day questions. And that if they have a physician that's willing to do that, it makes their transition back to us uh, and their care with us much easier. Uh, so, uh, and, and quite frankly, if I can prevent someone from getting to the nephrologist by keeping their A1C at 6.2, um, they're still busy enough. They're going <laughs> to see plenty of patients with renal failure. Uh, that's better than them. And, and, and I tell the patients, my goal is to keep you away from the specialist. Yeah. And it is not to prevent good care. If I have somebody with a creatinine of four and low uh, filtration rate for their kidneys and they need dialysis, I mean, I haven't changed my practice because uh -huh. of Aldane in that regards. I mean, it, 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 I haven't said, well, what is that going to cost? I've said more, that's, that's what that person needs for their care. But if that person is 85 with Alzheimer's, and it's told me they don't want aggressive care, then I have a different conversation with the family. Um, but I, I think when you're when you're really talking to other providers, I think they should want the ACO, primary care, internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, to be trying to be the quarterback for the patient, be the advocate for them, because it, it, their health care is, is, is in our hands. I mean, it's I can tell you in, uh, with no arrogance that a lot of my patients – will go to a specialist and they'll call the office and say, are you okay with this? Or they'll talk to my nurse and say, run this by Dr. Butler, or they want to come in and talk about it. But it's because we've built a relationship with them for years. And fortunately, if they have surgery, that may be a six-month or one-year, maybe a two-month process that they have follow-up. But after that, they need to have a home base to come back to. And, and that's what we're trying to provide. You know, I'm going to test your hypothesis about calling the surgeon and next time I have a headache or a bad mood, I'm calling Joe and I'm gonna, we're going to find out what happens. Yeah. For a change. Uh, you know, in fairness to the surgeons, I think your points are, are excellent. Uh, you know, I recently had a chance to speak to a group of surgeons about value-based care and uh, it, I was pleasantly surprised by the interest, um, but also not surprised that some of the very specialized, you know, hyper academic, uh, quaternary care, surgical specialists, we're not as in tune to this. But the underlying message is, just as you said, the programs are big enough now, both on the commercial and 
the uh, Medicare side that no matter where you practice, your patients are going to be seen as part of these programs. So even if you're a specialist, you should understand this larger system at play. And as a good uh, answer on that, the American College of Surgeons recently launched their own value-based care initiative because they saw that the train had basically left the station on this and that they wanted um, surgical insight into that stuff. So you're, you're definitely right, and the ACS would definitely agree with you on that, uh, particularly for things like you know, gallbladder disease, where there's a lot of pre-op, post-op management that may have nothing to do with the, just the removal of the gallbladder. And I would challenge any general surgeon out there to want to do a hot gallbladder, uh, meaning someone who had a, a you know, packed stone or a, a really nasty infection versus an elective gallbladder that had been managed with diet and had intermittent abdominal pain. So I think there's lots of reasons, clinical and economic, to um, to pay attention to all these models. So I'm really heartened to hear what how it works in Paducah. Yeah, it, you know, and it's not us against them. It does not need to be. I'm perfectly fine if someone calls me and says, I've got an incisional area that's inflamed and it looks like it's opening up. That is right back to the surgeon. and Because, you know, it's his, his or her surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I can tell you most post-op questions are about a DVT, a clot in the leg. Mm -hmm. They're about pneumonia. They're about pain. They're about fever cough they're not they're they're more related to a medical issue than they are a surgical issue and i think the orthopedist is another example when we get people at superior care in the nursing homes in paducah uh, after a total knee most of their knees do really well it's are they getting up is their blood count okay are they uh, do they run fever did their meds get restarted what's their sugar post-op I mean, that is not something, and I, this is nothing against any specialist, but I can tell you I'm not going to take anybody's gallbladder out and I'm not going to replace the knee, but they don't manage that kind of thing every day, and we do. I mean, it's, it, needs to be, it needs to be a us and them, not a us against them. Yeah, uh, of course. And it, I certainly will send, I want them to follow up with their orthopedist after a knee, but when it comes to their blood count and their sugar and their blood pressure being up and maybe their meds getting restarted on time, or their pain control, I feel very comfortable uh, taking care of that. And and ultimately, once they're walking good three months later, they won't see that orthopedist again, possibly, unless they have another one they need on the other side. Uh, but they're going to continue to follow with me because they've, they're going to need a flu shot and they're going to need a colonoscopy because we're not done by just fixing the knee. You know? Of course. I've heard you say that you as a physician are only as good as your staff, which um, already that sort of attitude, I bet, lends itself to a nice place to work, that your staff feels you appreciate them um, and you know you're, you're part of the team counting on them. I also wonder what helped you convince your staff to do this kind of work and to think this way? We, uh, through the years, I have always, I get there early and I go home late. Um, I don't let them feel like they're outworking me. I've always tried to say, I'm in this, I, I prep the charts for the HCC codes, I help, uh, I've helped kind of streamline annual wellness visits. So I'm not just putting work off on them and then kind of being distant about it. Uh, I let them know that I'm all in. And I think most of the staff knows that if you asked them today and called them, they would say, he's really about this. I explained to them that to stay independent, uh, they all like working uh, uh, for our practice, or at least in a style of practice like that where if there's problems that they have, they can bring them straight to me and my office manager, and we try to get them a quick answer. 
as some of the practices have sold to hospitals, um, some of that is lost and, and loyalty to, to the, my employees and just how we treat patients uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, think, I think them buying in has been trust that they've been with me a long time, most of them, that they always see that the patient's needs are met uh, to the best of our ability um, and they know what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, it's not trying to cut a corner. It's not trying to make a quick buck. It was. It is. What is the best healthcare we can provide? And do you want to be on this team? Uh, and I tell I tell the employees, and it's not that I want anyone to go anywhere else and work, but I say if this is not for you, because it's a busy office. It's a. I think there's a lot of camaraderie and and uh, time where we can relax and enjoy each other, but we're also there to see patients. And so, uh, if it's not for you or you don't buy in, then you know it this may be that you need to look for somewhere else to work because, you know, it's just how we do things. And I think through the years I've been consistent with that. I haven't, uh, I think I've been fair to them and and pay and and how I valued their work to us. Uh, If someone answers the phone, it doesn't take a correct message or somebody doesn't enter the right information at the front desk or calls in the wrong test that I've ordered. I'm only as good as my staff and I will, I will stay with that. Um, and I, I've got a good one. I'll be honest. I've got a good one. What did you, what did you think about uh, when you first encountered the ACO model and how it would impact that staff? You know, because we talked about it being more work. Um, how did that play into your decision making? It, I think the decision making was there was a lot of concern of how can we make this, how can we add something else to our day? Because it's not like we were sitting around saying, well, we got gaps of time here right. that we don't have anything to do. Um, and I tell our staff all the time, we are not trying to add workflow. We're not trying to add work. We're trying to change the workflow. So sometimes by doing an annual wellness visit and getting someone a walker because they're falling at home may prevent four problem visits because of falls every time, rib fractures, leg pain, fractures in the arm, whatever. Uh, I think they're starting to see that sometimes the better we take care of people, the less they're in the hospital, the less they're in the nursing home. In a way, it, you're putting in a short-term amount of work for sort of a long-term benefit. Um, we, our, my biggest concern was we would be asked to order less testing. In other words, we're going to save money, so therefore, why are you ordering that CAT scan or why did you do that chest X-ray? And I've been pleasantly surprised that there has been uh, no focus on um, – other than guidelines to be followed, there's been more focus on you take care of the patients. Let's just do it efficiently. Let's do it comprehensively. I've never been asked by Allidate or anyone uh, related in the ACO business to uh, not provide good care. Uh, it, it, but there's a way to do it in a more value-based, and I do think there's been a lot of waste through the years in healthcare, uh, and that when. We were sort of, me and I will speak for our ACL, I think everyone was sort of surprised at what they came at us with with our core initiatives and what they wanted us to work on. It wasn't how many mammograms I'd ordered. They wanted me to order more because they want us to screen for that. It was, are you really are you really screening for depression? Are you looking at memory loss? Are you really looking at fall risk? Um, are you code, I mean, are you not fraudulently, but are you really showing Medicare how sick your people are? I mean, they've never asked me to put a code that wasn't, Correct. 
I asked, I've asked them several times about some vague codes, like someone's kidney function will go from a level four back to a three because they get better with hydration or something. And, and the answer from Allidate has always been, you code it correctly. Uh-huh. If they're currently a three, then they're a three. So it, it's just that if someone has 10 medical problems and the expected cost is going to go up for Medicare, they also need a good look at what that cost is. And the HCC codes have been very helpful in that. So I think the integrity that they brought, um, they have not changed how I see patients from the decision-making of, you know, I'm not going to order the CAT scan because I'm in an ACO now because you've got abdominal pain. But I do think a lot more about how can I keep you from needing an inhaler for COPD because you quit smoking? Or how can I prevent your hip fracture in your two-month stay in a nursing home because we just got you a walker? They have brought that to the table, and that was much needed. Anything else you want to, that you were hoping to share? I just want to make sure. No, I just, I, I want to thank you all for inviting us to come. We, uh, you know, I announced earlier, but today was Kentucky comes to Maryland. And it's been, a, it's been enlightening to me to see this side of Allidade. Um, it, I really like what I do. I hope that is uh, displayed when I talk about it. I enjoy seeing patients. I enjoy helping families. Um, Allidade has given me some tools that I can really focus uh, on seeing patients, and I feel like I'm doing a better job of it. Uh, they've supported my staff at a level that uh, we feel like we have a good platform going forward and with it, our practice will be competitive in healthcare. So I'm thankful to Allidade for that. I'm thankful for the opportunity for being here this today. And uh, and I'm looking forward to see what the future holds with healthcare and, and all of our practices and our ACO in Kentucky. I think anybody listening to you speak would just really hope for themselves to find as dedicated a physician for themselves as you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Dr. Butler, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it.